Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey listeners, you are about to listen to the last episode of season 3 and I just wanted to say thank you for listening this season. I hope you found joy, inspiration, entertainment and advice in these episodes and I truly look forward to bringing you new episodes. The podcast will go on a bit of a break, so now would be a great time to subscribe to the podcast so you'll see when I'm back with new interviews. If you have suggestions on topics or guest ideas, Please get in touch on Instagram or Facebook, or send me an email at hello at liverboardsailingpodcast.com. Now here's what's coming up on the last episode of Season 3. There's people in the world, even on land, doing things that are a lot harder than what I'm doing. It's just like a lot of preconceived ideas about how difficult it is. And, and it is hard, but like, man, it's doable with the right tools and support and effort. In the right areas, it's totally doable. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liveaboard Sailing podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. This week, we are talking about something we haven't talked much about yet, which is solo sailing. My guest is Callie Duncan, who used to be a landlocked Canadian also, but she is currently sailing the Caribbean by herself on her Ericsson 38. We talk about her journey to becoming a solo sailor, what kind of experience she had before this, and generally what has life been like in the first year of her solo sailing journey. And now here's my chat with Callie. So Callie, you are from Alberta, Canada, so it's not exactly known for great sailing, being in the middle of sort of farmland about 
I don't know, what, two, three thousand kilometers from the ocean. So what has led you to the Liverpool life and ultimately solo sailing? Well, so I was living farmland, mountain, surrounding the farmland, like very few lakes even really other than a, a couple of bigger ones near home. But I used to in college and as a kid, we, you know, we had a cabin on the lake and my family would travel to usually all inclusive type holidays to the ocean. And it was usually Caribbean as well. So you've got your Caribbean blues and white sand and, um, yeah. And then in college, I was driving out to the coast, which is like, I can confirm like Calgary to Vancouver is roughly 12 hours. And then even further to the island, if you want to like surf. So I would do that in the summertime, usually for a week or two, just to get a taste of the ocean. And when I finally finished school as a chartered accountant, so it's seven, it's roughly seven years, my first job other than the one I was articling in was in Sydney, Australia, because I had never set foot there, but I just had heard so much. And from my travels and meeting Aussies, I just thought, I want to be near the ocean. I want to take a ferry to work. Um, and I feel like it was sort of a slippery slope from there of just like loving the ocean and ending up here. Yeah, I don't blame you for going to Sydney, Australia. That's amazing. I've uh, traveled in Australia briefly, and it's such a great country. So, uh, and there's a lot of Canadians out there who, who do the exact same route that you did. <laughs> so, you are now in the Caribbean. So, how long have you been sailing there now? And and tell me about your boat a little bit. Yeah, so I got this boat in Connecticut about nine months ago, start of October 2021, I guess. You kind of lose track of dates when you're on the water, I feel like, other than hurricane season dates. And I had never solo sailed before. So that was kind of a risk that I'm buying this boat and I might hate it or it might not go well, but I just wanted to be back on the water and, and all of that. So I got my coaches and found the right boat and it was so the right boat and so late in the season that I left two days from Connecticut, two days after buying the boat. So had a quick goodbye with friends and I was down the Long Island Sound towards New York. It was the kind of time of year in 2021, there was like a bomb cyclone. It was like the, I feel like the social media weather term of the year um, headed for New England. So it was kind of like, well, I've got, I've got a week or whatever, five days to get south of New York and away from this thing. So that was the priority. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is quick and really diving into the deep end. So did you go to the ICW? Is your boat uh, shallow enough for that? Yes. Yeah. So it's an Ericsson 38 from 1981 and it definitely has a low enough mast and my draft is only five foot three. So lucky enough, uh, the last boat I sailed on was six foot five. So even that was still okay for the ICW, but I just felt like I had sort of a buffer from what I knew and now to my new boat. So I was able to go inside and I was lucky enough. I had a friend from Rhode Island who came to do New York City with me. I wasn't worried about Hell's Gate and, and the whole transit through New York, but it's always nicer to one, share it with people and two, that was so new and three, just like second pair of eyes and hands. Oh, absolutely. It's such a busy area. It just gives me, it just makes me nervous thinking about that. But how long have you sailed before you embarked on this solo journey? I'd love to hear about your sort of previous experience. Like, you know, are you just 
remarkably brave that you just, you know, decided to do it? Or were you like pretty competent sailor before? I mean, maybe a little imposter syndrome, I would say I was pretty new, but um, I had, so a few years ago, I bought a sailboat with a boyfriend. Uh, we bought it in Rhode Island, which is why I have kind of more connections in that New England part of the world after only dating for three weeks and neither of us knew how to sail. So we were really like, in many ways, jumping in the deep end, but we ended up doing a big fit out of that boat and leaving for the Caribbean. And we made it all the way to Granada, but we split up and we uh, sold the boat in Granada. So I kind of had a taste of like that ICW route, the thorny path down to Granada, you know, knowing it gets easier in the Bahamas and then easier in the trade winds and kind of having those one, like a mental plan for this boat already in my head, rather than having to learn that too. And then just the amount of learning I did on that trip. My old partner was the marine engineer. so. I managed to kind of learn a lot of non-sailing related things from him that like most people think sailing is the obstacle. But for me, even though that is a part of it, there's a lot of stuff that can break otherwise that can make your life pretty miserable. So I did that year with him. And then when we sold the boat, I was kind of having a hard time adjusting back to land life. So I ended up on the Pacific crossing with some friends of friends. So I flew into Panama for the Galapagos French Polynesia route. And unlucky for me, it was really great like to do the Panama Canal and you know, experience, it ended up being 31 days at sea in the end, but COVID hit a few days out of Panama. So we anchored overnight in the Galapagos and left the next morning because you know, nobody really knew what, what was going on for how Ecuador would treat it, how the other countries were treating it, how do you get food? So we just thought, let's work our way back to Australia sooner than later. And very long story, happy to elaborate if you want to, but I ended up getting medically evacuated from Nukahiva by plane uh, on arrival there. So, but it was, it was good. It wasn't super life threatening, but I think the insurance companies all played it safe and just wanted to sort it out in COVID. And I got to experience a Pacific crossing and I came back to Canada, um, even though I was living in Australia. Spent COVID probably when many did, living with my parents at 30. And and then some friends, you know, a year, year and a half into COVID were crossing Azores to Gibraltar. And they have three kids aboard and just an extra pair of adult hands is always welcome. And flights were outrageously cheap, Calgary to Horta. So I jumped on a plane and helped them do that. And they were the ones who put me on to the totem coaching to kind of give me the confidence. Like in my head, I was like, it would be nice to sail alone, but will I really do it? And so having sort of coaches in your corner and people telling you you're not crazy, where I feel like also, I don't think a coach would encourage you to do something where you would fail. You know what I mean? If they really didn't believe it was possible. So it was really reassuring. And I feel like I got a better boat because of it. I got like better planning, better weather, just learning every day, but not alone has been huge for me. Like, I think it could have been a lot more overwhelming these last few months. So I'd never solo sailed until the day I set foot on this one to leave Connecticut. And yeah, it's just, it's gone swimmingly, I guess. It's a long roundabout story.
There is a lot to unpack there for sure. So, well, first of all, you you mentioned coaches now a couple of times and I just want to give a shout out because you mentioned this before to Jamie and Bian from Sailing Totem. They're lovely. So it's great to know that that they've been helping you as well, uh, for sure. And, and it's so great to have like an external point of view to your own thought process and, you know, giving you that confidence but also you know advice on whether or and, and whatever else so that's that's a great ace to have in your sleeve kind of thing definitely i'll have to go back and listen to their interview episode oh for sure they are so inspirational and so helpful it's just lovely so it sounds like you did have a quite a bit of experience when you consider you know all the all the sort of ocean crossings that you did so you know by no means more you know inexperienced when you started but you did you know mentioned a little medical evacuation there uh, in the French uh, Polynesia. I would love to hear that. Was that because of COVID? No. Well, yes and no, I didn't have COVID. Um, but I think it was everybody, everything was just so turned upside down because of COVID. So normally, I guess to summarize what happened, and if anyone needs any advice on their first aid kits for drugs and things related to this, feel free to send me a message. I've got strong opinions. But um, basically just a constipation issue. And I've spoken to a lot of people about it now, and I feel like quite informed. But once you take a laxative, you are dependent on that laxative until you get certain other drugs to like wean you off of it. And not only did we not have that one on the boat, but Nukahiba didn't have it either. And it's another thousand miles to Tahiti. So it's a seven day sail. And like normally in a COVID year, you could just take an inter-island flight to Tahiti, get the drug and fly home and be done with the boat. I was going to leave them in French Polynesia anyways, you know, but because it was COVID and those flights were shut down, there was the only option was to sail there. And my insurance company didn't like the idea, nor did the captain or me, of going to sea with kind of a known problem. And the doctors on Nukahiva, sort of this little clinic with a few machines, I had to have a couple procedures done that are not very pleasant or podcast friendly, and nothing was working. So their letter of recommendation actually said non-urgent medical ev evacuation. But I think the insurance company just took it really seriously because it's like, if this gets worse, they might be evacuating me back to Australia, which would cost them a lot more money. Whereas once, and the other factor in there was that we landed in Nukahiva and there's only four days until the borders of French Polynesia were closing for all of 2020. So they kind of needed to like either act fast or potentially foot a much bigger bill. I mean, the bill they footed was still very hefty, but um, I think they were kind of mitigating like best decision possible. Yeah. Wow. What a time to have to deal with something like that at the like eve of COVID, you know, just knocking at the door. Of course, nobody knew what that was going to be, but there was probably enough uncertainty that people were kind of a little bit freaked out about it. Uh, so, oh my goodness, what an ordeal. So you've got that experience now under your belt too. But I suppose now you are better prepared for anything like that in the future. And now we know why French Polynesia requires medical evacuation insurance as part of the cruising um, visa issuance. Do they? I didn't actually know that. So, well, there you go. There you go. Super glad they require that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, your experience but still going from i don't know group or couple sailing to solo sailing it must be a big 
learning curve. So do you, you said you're about nine months into this now. So do you find that you're still learning? Yes and no. Like, I think I'm aware of a lot of things I haven't experienced yet. Like, I haven't had a lot of squally weather. I haven't had a big storm um, while sailing. I've had a few blows while at anchor, but I've got kind of trusty ground tackle. I'm still, I would say I'm always learning every day, but definitely there's a lot of repetition. And I'm very lucky that the boat I bought was set up for single handing. It's It was so well maintained that like, yes, things are breaking here and there every single day, but so far touch wood, not a lot of like essential safety, you know, like I'm not, again, touch wood, but it sounds horrible to say this, but it's not like halyards are snapping and sails are ripping and you know a lot of the crucial elements and even the engine where things have gone wrong it's been kind of like still usable and then reactive maintenance not so much just like a lack of an engine all of a sudden and you mentioned that the boat was kind of set up for solo sailing already which is super handy was that one of your criteria when you were looking for a boat that it was already kind of aligned that way there was like this ideal list and then obviously you can set it up yourself and the longer i waited i mean i flew into new england um on a six-month visa because canadians get six months in the us and and also being aware of hurricane season and winter and i was really pushing the season of after i looked at this boat i was going to go down to annapolis for the boat show and start shopping down there because i was like it's already getting a little late in the winter in the fall to be buying in Rhode Island. I know what it was like because we left in November from Rhode Island last time. We were miserable with two people having someone to trade off with with hot water bottles. And so I knew if I was solo, that wouldn't really be practical. Yeah. So as I moved further south, I would regain a little bit of time where if I needed to add things to be a solo sailor, I would have that time. But given I was buying that late in the season and that far north, it kind of had become a criteria as time passed. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, I want to pick your brain about that because I may end up being in a similar boat, uh, no pun intended, but buying a boat on the East Coast late in the season. So how far did you end up going for the winter? Like how far south did you go when you left in October? Yeah, so I, I guess I left October, I think it was around the 8th or 9th or maybe the 11th from Connecticut and I ended up Christmas Eve in West Palm Bay, Florida. So it was a lot of moving every day because I wasn't doing long offshore passages at that time. There just wasn't weather windows and I wasn't prepared to do that yet. So a lot of hops every day. And I actually, I have all my maps and stuff of all my routes I share with patrons. I do a captain's log of every sale that I do. Um, and it's kind of like weather conditions, the actual track for my chart plotter, and then just like all the thoughts and, you know, sometimes it's a little more, um, <laughs> if nothing exciting happened on the sale, often you're just like lost in your own thoughts. So it's life thoughts and weather thoughts. And, but then if there's anything like any big learnings or any, like, I haven't really had any official incidents, but you know, like things that give you pause or make you nervous for the next time or whatever breakdowns, um, those all make the captain's log. So it's really like, I have the old rough track of leaving Rhode Island in November from the previous trip all the way through to Granada. 
Um, and then Nat, that was just rough though, because we didn't have the same uh, excellent record keeping. Um, and now that I've got the chart plotter export working, it's it's the actual track. So that's been much more fun. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's so good that you have that previous experience so you can compare a little bit as well, like you've done a similar route before. And actually, I am a little bit curious, like, obviously, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to say that the livable life, it's extremely rewarding, but it is hard. And you as you have done that with other people and now by yourself, is it like twice as hard by yourself? Or is it perhaps easier or simpler because it's just you? I'd say it's both at the same time. Like I'm definitely an extrovert um, and I'm really grateful that I knew what to expect because the cruising community, you know, like I never really long for company. There's always a friend in the Anchorage or someone introduce yourself to or, or what have you. So, you know, it's not the same as sharing like the highs and lows with a significant other or a close friend, but at least it's not as lonely as I think, you know, I think my family pictures it being very lonely and, and my friends who know me are like, what are you doing? But um, yeah, so it's, it's been both. Like I miss, I'm, for example, the other day, uh, <laughs> and this is in the logbook as well, because it was very prominent for sure, especially at the end, I did a three-day passage from the U USVIs to Guadalupe, and it was extremely tiring. Like I do 20-minute naps with a five-minute sort of wake, check the instruments, look for traffic, and back to a 20-minute nap all night long, and then naps throughout the day to make up for how terrible of a night's sleep that is. And after three days of it, it's like, I just longed for having that partner or friend aboard to say, I'm just going to go for a real sleep. Like you got this for a couple hours and then I'll, I'll do the same for you. Like it, there's definite moments where you miss it or, or having a job that you don't like doing right now. I feel like I've got to do some like plumbing in the bathroom, which is nobody's favorite thing. And then even just like ideas of like things I would like to change, but I don't think finishing work is a skill that I possess. So I'm not really prepared to tackle any jobs at the moment that require woodwork or any nice touches. So I'm tackling more of the big jobs. Like I redid my rigging in Florida. Next is probably Watermaker. Things that don't have quite the same visual <laughs> aspect so having a partner who might be willing to tackle jobs that you dislike is yeah a luxury well for sure but it sounds like you know if you can manage the functional parts like okay if the gel coat doesn't look extremely pretty you know at least you have a functioning water maker and a toilet so you know priorities <laughs> exactly but um yeah and i'm not sure how that'll pan out i'm really undecided on what what I'll be looking at for crew in the future. Like <laughs> I just watched with another boat family, we watched Maiden Trip, which is the 14 year old girl, Laura Decker. And you know, it, it reminds you like, man, wouldn't that be like a amazing thing to be able to say and experience a month alone, that level of self-sufficiency, like it just be such a, not an egotistical pride thing, but like a self-fulfilling sort of proud achievement. But then I'm also just like, that sounds terrible. I don't, I don't know about that. So I'm very torn on a lot of those things or, you know, how I get from here to Panama after cruising the islands a bit next season. But yeah, it's, it's interesting alone versus with people. 
Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And that uh, three-day passage that you mentioned, has that been the longest one that you've done so far? Yes, three days, three nights, which that one was, it was sort of unplanned. I really, mileage-wise, I maybe could have done it in two, but it was just very upwind, very, you know, diesel prices are not great right now, plus the environmental aspect. And I was kind of reluctant to turn on the engine. So I sort of knew what I was getting into, but it was a little bit in denial about it, but was prepared at the same time, if that makes sense. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine like even doing like a longer trip, like say three days and three nights by yourself when you're doing that sort of 20 minute nap thing and you know checking things every so often that it must be exhausting like how long did it take you to actually recover from that like you know, get back to your normal energy levels once you finally reached your destination well i was really quite lucky so i arrived at like seven in the morning and i all i wanted since i left connecticut was to get to the french islands and get like a croissant and a good coffee like honestly and the closer i got i feel like i was like salivating more and more as i approached you know the eastern caribbean so it's seven in the morning i didn't even have to drop my anchor someone was dropping a mooring and the moorings in this town in guadalupe were free so that and it's quite a deep anchorage so that was a luxury and i thought i can go to bed now but i feel like i'll wake up like after sundown so you're going to be flying your quarantine flag deal with checking in tomorrow I thought, no, I'm just going to push through, go check in, coffee and croissant, and then and then rest up. Well, it ends up I had friends in the bay, and they ended up making me breakfast and visiting. And then I actually had kind of a productive day and managed to stay up to like, I think we went back for sundowners as well. So it was like 8 or 9 p.m. I was very pleased with myself for like, immediately getting back to sort of night and day sleeping by accident because there were so many things happening. And then I slept for like a good 12 hours and probably a few days in a row of that. And I was a little bit recovered. Yeah, I can only imagine myself after a trip like that and then trying to keep doing, I'd just be giggling at everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, I was feeling a little bit like maniacal before arriving. I was just like, I'm so ready to be not moving, not responsible for anything just for a minute. Oh, for sure. But it must have been such a rush to even get there. You know, you achieved your longest passage, you got to your French coffee and a croissant and now you're there. So, you know, who's got time to sleep? Yes, it was amazing. And this, the shores of Guadalupe are also very like picturesque as well. So you just feel like this is why I did it. This, this whole, everything together was just bundled up as like why I'm going for the effort of seeing the world this way and seeing it solo. Well, I want to dive into a little bit more, ask a little bit more about solo sailing, because uh, I think you may be the first solo sailor that I've spoken to. No, actually, I've talked to one other one, but we didn't really talk much about the actual aspect of sailing solo. And I'm curious, since it's not that common, like what do you think is the biggest misconception about solo sailing that you have faced when you're, you know, roll up to an anchorage or or marina and, you know, people realize that it's just you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a two-part question because I think if a man rolled up in a boat solo sailing, I think no one would immediately jump to the fact that like 
where are you guys headed is kind of usually the first question or like, what are you guys up to today? And I'll, and I'll usually go a few times and respond with like, Oh, I'm, I'm headed for a hike, you know, before I go, no, it's just me heading for the hike or it's just me on the boat, just waiting to see like how, how the conversation goes. But, um, and to be honest, I would probably be biased in that way too. So not judging people like, you know, the world will evolve and we'll get there. But, um, I would do the same thing if I saw kind of a think of your stereotypical like young 30s probably long hair and a ponytail dude maybe a little skinny and like just wearing old shorts no top like and you'd be like oh solo sailor right so someone rocking up and they just don't expect it um it's been really interesting but other than that like once you tell people they definitely have a lot of questions and they're very excited and supportive and like yeah it's been it's been interesting it's been very educational of just like just norms and and then also it's interesting seeing like on a couple's boat if i bond more with the husband over sailing or the wife because she's a keen sailor despite being part of a sailing couple and not being solo Sometimes I bond with both of them because they're just both awesome. Things like that. It's just really fascinating uh, who just people dynamics, I guess. Yeah. And I imagine there is quite a lot more depth into that, you know, being a female solo sailor versus a man, like just the attitude in general, like always it's always been a men thing to do to go sailing and all yeah. that but uh i'm so glad that you are showing a great example to anybody who's listening or you know following you online or you know whether they're younger or older it doesn't matter you know just the fact that you're doing it is fantastic yeah and i think the more people see people doing it like i'm lucky enough that someone told me about holly who is on a boat called gecko in french polynesia right now and she posts on youtube and instagram and I, I watched a few of her videos and it's just like a reminder that like, she's doing it, I can do it. And it's like just getting more of those examples out in the world. You know, Lisa Blair's out there circumnavigating Antarctica. I'm gonna leave Antarctica to her. But you think, you just remind yourself like, that's a lot harder. So there's people in the world, even on land, doing things that are a lot harder that, than what I'm doing. It's just like a lot of, preconceived ideas about how difficult it is and and it is hard but like man it's doable with the right tools and support and effort in the right areas it's totally doable and i bet it's absolutely also worth it rather than having stayed on land until you found someone to go sail with you exactly and i just think that like you know i had that before and the sailing can end as a result of that and so i didn't want to wait around for that and and buy a boat with someone else and have that you know determine the fate of my sailing again I would rather just be out here on the water and meet other people who are into sailing and just see what happens it's a little more sailing focused than like relationship focused I guess yeah exactly exactly and the thing with sailing like I imagine is similar to traveling by yourself like you're not actually alone the whole most of the time like you may sleep in your own room or own boat but you're probably not spending that much time by yourself that's so true in some ways it's nice it's like it's nice not to go back and have to 
share your space with anyone or have to plan around someone or I mean don't get me wrong as an extrovert I would still much rather that and I am seeking a relationship so you know male sailors apply within but um yeah it's there's total pros and cons like who doesn't anyone who has a spouse or partner and has been married for years and that person goes out of town and you like starfish on the double bed and just like roll up in the blanket you know it's like I get that kind of stuff every night so I can't totally complain no exactly there's definitely some good pros there as well I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so we touched on a few destinations that you have sailed in now, specifically on the U.S. East Coast and now the Caribbean, but also a bit all over the world, really. And But I would love to get your thoughts on, like, do you have any maybe favorite places or maybe some, you know, places along the U.S. East Coast, Caribbean, Bahama range that you would recommend to someone who's sort of, you know, new to all of this you know like you were a few years ago when you first went there like any specific places that you're like oh this is a great place to go and learn and and get started i mean it's tricky in the sense that like i do think a great way to learn and get started is like chartering boats and joining your local sailing club and all that which is ironic because that's not how i learned but i just recognize that most people maybe aren't as crazy as i am I really found Rhode Island to be the most amazing sailing community. I don't know how practical it is to say to people who are based out of other locations, you know, but, um, and even in terms of buying a boat, that part of the world is just like lush with sailing and boats and it's just wonderful. So I think going to a place that inspires you a little bit. So going to, you know, some swampy inland place, yes, you can get a sailing experience, but like really think to yourself, what do I like about sailing? Like if you're just in it to see how fast you can go and, you know, race around, then who cares about the location? But if you want that mix of like the lifestyle, apply that to where you learn as well, because you're probably more likely to not ruin the experience with and like taint it with a bad experience in like a cold weather place or a stormier place. Or So finding those places in the trade winds, like if you're into free diving, somewhere where the water's clear, somewhere where there's amazing snorkeling, you know, it's not related to sailing, but if you're in it for the more live aboard cruising purpose, it's going to make a big difference in what you learn, how much you enjoy learning it, your overall attitude to it. In terms of along that route, like there's hot spots, obviously the BVIs, USVIs, all that stuff, uh, big for chartering. 
I'm not a fan of the cruiser because you get you get crowding like it's not the off-grid reason that I'm sailing so I love the French islands I like the eastern Caribbean and I'm excited to explore it more because part of it was rushed when we sold our boat last time yeah no I think there were some really good points there like pick things that or areas that you would find interesting otherwise like for example a lot of people had told me like oh you should just go to florida and buy a boat like if you can go anywhere and buy a boat and get started and i'm like i don't think i like florida like it's not somewhere i can see myself liking i like i wouldn't travel to florida normally on a normal trip or vacation so like i don't think i like that 100 percent, and it's part of the reason why i was originally looking at buying boats in europe because i was on board my friend's boat uh in gibraltar and i just i thought you know the euro sucks the there's all these winds people talk about like the tramontane and italy and the i don't even know the words for all of them because i have not sailed the med really so but i was like and then at the same time it's sort of the tail end of covid and there's so many more borders in europe compared to doing my first four months down the u.s coast you know so i was like why am i doing this thing that's like in an area i don't know i'm not you know maybe i'd be passionate about it i think i would now after sailing gibraltar in spain and portugal but it's like i know i like the eastern caribbean i know that route, I know what's there to expect and that it's enough of a reward to make it worthwhile this first year or two. So I thought I'm going to base myself with that in mind. And and there's a reason I didn't fly into Florida. It would have been on my list had I been pushing, you know, December and I was still boat shopping. But uh, yeah, I was definitely aiming for the more northerly regions. Yeah, well, that makes sense, you know, being from Canada. <laughs> and all. Actually, another question related to that being from Canada, you mentioned that you like the French islands. So do you speak French? Oh, I'm the worst Canadian in the world. I actually learned Spanish because it's easier to learn, in my opinion, than French. So it came very handy in the Dominican Republic. And then as soon as you get in the French countries, I'm trying to like switch the brain to my very basic French. And I'm, I find myself in every shop saying like, gracias, merci. And it's, I don't know, they just ignore the first half that was Spanish. Like, it's pretty bad. So I'm on the Duolingo. I'm really trying to lose the Spanish a bit because there's so many more French sailing destinations between here and French Polynesia. And I probably won't spend that much time in Central America. Yeah, no, I 100% agree that Spanish is easier than French. I've studied both and I'm not sure anyone can ever learn French completely. Like it's, I've studied it for a long time and I live in Ottawa, which is like super bilingual. Yeah. And I'm still like, yeah, I wouldn't write a report in French. Like that would take me months. <laughs> but it's not just me because I'm really, I'm definitely struggling and Duolingo is helping though. My sister's a language teacher and I was complaining to her about the style of learning on Duolingo and how my brain works. And she basically told me like how language learning works and that Duolingo will teach me that and to stick with it. So it's it's gotten better for sure. And I think she is right. I hate to say it, but um, yeah, it's slow going for sure. And just the amount of time I have to dedicate to it. Cause let's be honest, like I'm trying to install the watermaker this week. I'm trying to keep up on my engine maintenance like uh, there's a lot 
in all fairness, you know, where you grew up in Alberta, that's like, what, 4,000 kilometers from Quebec. So it's not like you grew up in a French area or anything. But if you are looking for some, you know, French podcast or whatever, I've been listening to CBC. Uh, they have a lot of French programming where they, have, you know, read the news or something. And because if you read the news normally, you're going to know what's going on. So you have an idea of like what they're talking about, but you just get exposed to it. So, you know, when you're doing boat work, maybe put on some French CBC news uh, on the background on a podcast. Oh, interesting. I like it. Thank you. Like, like I said, I, I'm still learning French after all these years. So, but okay. So apart from maybe mastering all the foreign languages what do you wish you knew before you embarked on the solo uh, sailing journey that you're on you know i would say i probably don't have a lot but it's the year that i spent sailing i think if you asked me about that first year the list would be so long but it really set my expectations of what i was signing up for this time so there hasn't been, I've been so lucky, there hasn't been a ton of surprises. There hasn't been a lot of drama. It's been manageable. Like I'm, I would say I'm overwhelmed some days and I'm tired some days, but it's like not to be unexpected. It was, yeah, I was well prepared for it. And if anything, I would say like the social pressures are the hardest thing. Like I've sort of got my mental to-do list and I've only got one person to action that list. And there's always fun stuff going on with other cruisers and people renting cars and going hiking and doing sundowners and all that stuff. And I'm very much the extrovert. So I want to say yes to every single thing. And I think also people look at a solo sailor and and feel for them, which, you know, keep doing that because you are on your own. And it's so wonderful to have people checking in on you. But it's so hard saying no so often. My kind of mentality, I went into this, this is going to sound super depressing and don't any of this prospective solo sailors out there, don't let it deter you. But my kind of coping mechanism was that when I bought the boat, I told myself if in the first year I didn't do anything fun, that would be like, that was my expectation. It's like I knew I had to get out of the U.S. before my visa ended. I knew I had to get out of the thorny path before hurricane season came and I needed to be in Granada and I had this list of repairs. And so my base level expectation was like, if I do nothing fun, that's okay. And so, you know, my mom was texting me saying, oh, how are the beaches in Puerto Rico? And I was like, I don't know. I Don't ask me. I haven't even been ashore. I haven't launched the dinghy. Like, I've got a to-do list. So <laughs> it sounds a little depressing, but, like, I get a lot of satisfaction from the boat work and the learning curve and kind of, like, coming out the other side relatively successfully, <laughs> not necessarily efficiently. but. Um, yeah, so it's it was a year of like knowing what I signed up for. And I'm still in that year. I am lucky I have visitors coming in a few weeks, coming for three weeks. So I'm going to sort of do a little tourist break for a couple of weeks to hang out with them and just like de-stress and breathe a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think that really helped was just setting my expectations. And if other people are trying to do the same you know there's so many communities where if you don't know what your expectations should be or what you as a couple or a solo sale or a family are signing up for like you can get a flavor of it and just assume it's a little harder than whatever you see on social media <laughs> but um yeah so you can definitely get a flavor and and set them low like that's definitely 
the one thing I will say that's helped me the most is, which I knew from last time, and people say like, oh, what's the most important skill you learned to like solo sail or like all that, you know, whatever form that question takes. And I always say my best skill is delayed gratification. Like because I had these expectations and because I set my sights sort of so low for the payoff in year one that I, I'll hear people talking about some storm they were in or dragon anchor or, or what have you. And I'll think to myself, well, I wasn't out in that storm. Why? Because if you asked me if I needed to be in Charleston, yes, I needed to be in Charleston. My US visa is about to expire. I'm trying to like budget my days as I go down the coast. But did I need to be in Charleston or did I want to knock off those days? And technically, if I shuffle things around, like, so never letting my secret wants, you might not admit to yourself that it's because you wanted to, but if you're really honest with yourself and like able to just fully plan around the weather, you're going to make your life a lot easier. So I've, I've been really lucky that my expectations were right. I had a schedule, but the schedule was vastly around the weather. Yeah. And it's made all the difference sort of year one of like surviving, not thriving. Even if you look at my Instagram, I feel like I've posted like 10 photos since I started in October. You know, it's it's not I'm I'm not an exciting person to be around. All my stories involve like the engine right now and the rigging. But um, yeah, it's it's a long game for me. And I think that sort of just powering through and doing the right thing and, and not making myself hate sailing and solo sailing early on because I bit off more than I could chew or I tried to do it all in year one. It's like, this is a long-term plan. My plan is Granada for hurricane season and see the islands next year. I think that's such a good lesson for anyone, whether you're sailing solo or not, is to have those expectations and manage them and not pack everything, like not put all those you know, amazing expectations that you want from your new lifestyle into that first three months, six months or a year, like, you know, just, you know, trust that it will take some time. And obviously, you're taking care of your boat, which has a massive impact on how enjoyable the sailing is and will be in the near future as well. Like if you were just, you know, out partying and exploring all the beaches and not taking care of your engine or water maker, then you know, you'd have some pretty miser miserable time shortly after. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I think it's, uh, and it is about balance. Like I have been lucky that it's worked out where I'm waiting on a part, so I can't do that boat job and there is something fun happening. But my expectation was nothing and I've just exceeded it now instead of being disappointed by the days I didn't go. Exactly. It kind of sounds like you have a, a kind of a good relationship with your boat. Uh, but I am curious to hear, though, you know, if you were to get a new boat and, you know, of course, this is one of these dream scenarios where there's, you know, the budget is no issue. What boat would you pick for solo sailing specifically? Is there anything that you, you know, it would be that sort of like, oh, that would be amazing? Or is what you have now, your Ericsson 38, is that just about perfect for what you need right now yeah I mean I do love I don't love sailing a center cockpit I actually like sailing a are they both sloops that really shows how much I know but I like sailing an aft cockpit 
but I prefer the living quarters of a center cockpit. So, you know, just the way the V-birth is and all of that. It's, that's one thing I would maybe change. I do like having the bathroom by the stairs, which FYI, the 38200, I believe, does have the bathroom by the companionway. Uh, sorry, the head. I do know the sailing terms. Um, yeah, like minor, minor things, though. Like, I think overall, in the grand scheme of things, this met my whole list. Like, I love to cook, and this has the most beautiful galley, like so much counter space. I would love a way better fridge. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I just, I have very little wants and needs from what I got from this boat. Like, you could change something, but you'd be losing something else. And I'm not sure I'd be willing to give up whatever might have to come off the list. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it sounds like though that, you know, you mentioned that the size of the boat that you have now is pretty good for your for yourself, for the most part, and you'll have some friends over soon. So you'll know if that works out for, <laughs> for more people as well. But I'm sure you'll be happy to have your space to yourself again after your friends leave but it sounds like you know 38 feet and uh i am somewhat familiar with the layout because i've been eyeing so many ericsons that it looks it looks pretty good yeah it really is like i find it's manageable to dock alone it's i worry a lot especially as a female solo sailor about just like you know the bigger the boat the bigger the winches the stronger you need to like everything's just bigger and more powerful and i'm already a little not self-conscious in a shallow sense, but like concerned, I guess, about, I know that I'm not as strong as a six foot two man, you know? So I'm very aware of the fact that this size to me felt manageable. My last boat was a CNC 38 and like it's proven true as a solo sailor too. So the bigger you get, the more maintenance cost on a solo sailor's budget, the more the original boat costs, the more docking, the more just everything. So it's kind of been the perfect size. And I've had, I had a friend come visit for a month and I had a friend do New York with me. So I've had people in the space and I know generally that it works out I think it's always just dependent on the visitor so 38 has been awesome and I do think I could go smaller I really do but to be fair the ability to cross oceans with a smaller vessel might be more the concern of like what safety gear do you want and where are you going to store it and some people are way more laid back on those sort of decisions and have less gear or prioritize other things over things that I would prioritize. So they don't need the space. But for me, you know, just size of water tanks and size of fuel tanks and things like that on the 38 was just like my happy medium space. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really good tip for anybody who is maybe thinking about doing this Um by themselves is sort of finding the boat that is the right size for you and your physical uh, abilities. You know, if you're very short and like very petite, you know, that will probably be a factor on what kind of a boat you want. You don't want that 45 foot whatever, because that's going to be a big beast to handle by yourself. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is like, I've, I'm sure many people have heard before is like, it was something like you buy your first, you just buy your first boat you shop for your second boat and you build your third boat or something like that you know where it's like you slowly know more and more what you want and i think i lucked into it that 
my old partner and I were dating for three weeks. We just bought this boat off of um, what's the American version of uh, Kijiji? Craigslist. Yeah, we just bought it off Craigslist. You know, it kind of meant the basic, like, it's a sloop. It's 38 feet. It's in the 70s. You know, whatever. It was not It was more informed on his part, I think, at the time. But I think if we had been too informed without having sailed a lot of boats, you'd be in limbo forever. So that sort of jumping into the first boat and maybe that first boat isn't your final boat. I mean, I think you see how many bloody YouTube channels start out on a mung home, go to a catamaran or people who start out as a couple and upgrade once they have kids or like life changes. And the more you sail a boat, the more you go, I really wish it had this thing or I really did not need this thing that I went to the trouble of making sure that it had. So I just think don't be too try and know yourself and and try and get out there and sail on a bunch of boats and ask around. But like, yeah, it's a learning curve in every way. So you don't even know what you want and what you don't want until you really get out there and just best educated decision until you, until you know. Yeah, exactly. And that is a really good tip to go check out as many boats as you can. I feel like there's a lot of people like myself who are kind of looking to get into it with like not a lot of, like previous sailing experience you know I haven't been on dozens and dozens of boats or sailed you know thousands of miles or anything so that's entirely right about you know you buy your first boat and then you learn what works and what doesn't work for you and you know if in a few years there's going to be another boat because you know I've learned that actually I hate this one thing and I really need this other thing so it's a it's a different approach so it's it's interesting to go through yeah. so you gave actually really good sort of practical tips there but as we wrap up, I'm wondering, would you have any sort of, you know, say there is somebody who is listening, who is uh, a woman who is thinking about doing this by themselves, maybe any sort of words of encouragement or advice on on sort of the mental aspect of doing this by yourself? Yeah. So my advice there would be to know your own reactions. And I feel like you only get that knowledge by by being through things and like sailing hours time on the water you know the first time you blow out a spinnaker or the first time something chafes through or the first time you drag anchor like it's not impossible i'm i'm going to have many firsts in my solo sailing that i haven't managed to encounter yet before becoming a solo sailor but i know by default after being through a few of those things that my reaction is quite productive it's very logical safety oriented you know, solve the problem at hand type and contain it from getting worse. So that aspect is so important because if your default reaction is to be very anxious or to overreact and cause a problem to get bigger and cause a secondary problem or what have you, one, you need to know that to mitigate it when you're in the moment, but also too, it might change your mind about solo sailing. And it's probably better to know that before you invest in a boat than to get in a dangerous situation. Once you've invested with a boat, you know, I think it's just really being honest with yourself about how you are and if you're going to improve that or if it's too much. Yeah, exactly. Knowing yourself and knowing your limitations before you dive in is probably quite helpful. The last question is, where can we follow you online uh, and keep tabs on your adventure? For sure. So the best place is Instagram. It's just at she's the skipper. 
and I am newly on TikTok, but you'll see everything on Instagram from that. I'm a little bit in denial about the TikTok. And there is a Facebook page for She's the Skipper. But again, Instagram, just I use all the features of Instagram and it doesn't always translate to the other platforms. Um, and then anyone wanting to like learn specifically about each passage or kind of a more insider view, I have the Patreon as well. But um, yeah, mostly mostly Instagram for everybody just generally to follow along. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your story and your great tips and advice with me and with us, all the listeners today. Oh, that's all right. Thank you so much. That was fun. And there we go. That's a wrap for the season. And what a great way to end a great season. I really admire Callie and what she's doing. And honestly, it sounds like a great way to explore the world. Just her and her sailboat. I will hit pause on the podcast now for a bit to take a little bit of a break, record new episodes, and hopefully we'll have a new season starting again in the early fall. In the meantime, Adam and I continue to search our sailboat, so who knows, maybe there's a chance that I will be recording from a boat at some point. I will be posting updates on the boat search on Patreon, so if you want to see how the boat shopping is going, what boats we're considering, and all that, come join us there. As always, thank you for listening. I'll see you in the next season. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.